Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. Yeah, well, why not? On this episode, we're going to try something new and different because, well, as Denny just said, why not? Uh, it's time for us to look at recipe design as we do in real time. So we've already had a show that talked a little bit about our thoughts about recipe design, but this time we actually kind of wanted to challenge ourselves and make something of, you know, like a, a sport out of it. You know, call this the the Brew Files version of Chopped or something. I don't know. We had you guys submit us uh, recipe ideas, and now we're going to challenge each other. Make a recipe in real time. So what are we going to come up with from your suggestions? And more importantly, who's going to receive a free portion of YCH Hop's Veterans Blend? People who submitted the recipes that we choose will, will each get half a pound of Yakima Chief Veterans Blend Hops, which I'm going to be brewing with as soon as I can brew again. But first, a message from our sponsors. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Explore the history of tart, fruity, and refreshing Goza-style beer with the latest book from Brewer's Publication, Goza, Brewing a Classic German Beer for the Modern Era. Written by award-winning veteran brewer Fal Allen, Goza includes 27 recipes including Sea Quench Sour from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Reuben Brewer's 2017 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winning Goza. Right now, Brewers Publications is giving experimental homebrewing listeners a discount on Goza. Go to brewerspublications.com and use code EXPERIMENTAL to take 20% off Goza. That's right, you'll save 20% when you use code EXPERIMENTAL at brewerspublications.com. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the HA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. Thank you for sticking around and listening to those messages from our fine, fine sponsors. Remember, as always, if you have a chance to interact with them, tell them that you heard about them on the Brew Files because, well, they need to know they're spending their money right. And we mentioned in the opening the Yakima Chief Hops Veterans Blend that our lucky recipients are going to uh, receive a half pound of. Denny, can you uh, walk people through what's in the Veterans Blend? Yeah, and how it came about, too. Uh, basically, for Veterans Day this year, 
uh, Yakima Chief invited a bunch of brewers who are veterans to come up and get together and uh, look at some hops and put together a blend. So that's what they did. Uh, this this blend was used by uh, breweries all across the country to make a beer for Veterans Day. It includes the varieties Cashmere, Centennial, Equinot, Mosaic, and Simcoe. You know, I have not had a chance to brew with it yet, but boy, does it smell great. And, uh, of course, since these are coming from Yakima Chief, we have a full analysis of them, which we'll be uh, sending out to the people who score the hops uh, from the contest. I mean, we literally placed an order for – I forget the smallest box was uh, – 11 pounds. Yeah, we have 11 pounds of them. Yeah, so we have 11 pounds of this sitting in Danny's freezer, and hopefully he doesn't get raided by anybody. This is uh, sitting there. It's going to go out to some of our Igors and some of our listeners, and most importantly, to some of the people who are going to help us do this episode. I think without further ado, let's let's set down the rules of what we're going to do here. We got a... Uh, a heaping helping of suggestions from you guys at our URL that we gave you. And what we have now done is each of us have gone through the list and chosen one of the recipe suggestions to give to the other person. We have not told each other what recipe we've chosen. This is going to happen live because what we really want to do is we want to walk you guys through well, you know, how we think about recipes. And this is, by the way, one of my favorite things that happens. And I don't, I assume this happens to you too, Denny. I'm constantly getting emails or messages on Facebook or messages in other places that you can find me asking me to look at somebody's recipe, review it, or, hey, I've got this, you know, kooky, crazy idea. What would you do? You know, how, how would you make this? I have great fun answering those questions. Yeah, I do too, to a certain degree, but uh, a lot of times I get a question about a recipe somebody wants to do, and I just kind of have to say, you know, that's nothing I would want to do, so I've never thought of it, so sorry you're on your own, although maybe you could try this. Denny hates giving advice. (laughs) I I don't hate giving (laughs) advice. I hate giving advice about things that I know nothing about. Well, that's never stopped me from doing anything, so. (laughs) How true that is. Well, why don't we go ahead and uh, and get started here? And Denny, what have you chosen for me? Well, I'm I'm going to take it pretty easy on you today. My choice for you comes from our good buddy Eric Pierce, and it's a beet saison. Oh, beet saison. Uh, good old Eric. All right, so let's see. The only way that you can start with this is you got to stop and think. Okay. What do I want to see out of this? Right, this is what Denny talks about when he talks about drawing up a flavor picture. And for me, obviously, I have lots of rules around the idea of a saison. I have a whole manifesto about saisons. To me, beets are kind of an interesting one because fundamentally, beets are well, one, they're a hell of a sugar source, but they bring a deep, dark, earthy funk to everything. I think the part of the reason why I hated beets when I was a kid was because the ones I always had tasted like dirt. I don't know. Let's see. So what would I do? What do, what do I want out of a beet saison? Obviously, you got to get the color. Uh, if you've ever played around with beets, if you've ever cooked beets, you know that the second that you start cutting into them after they're cooked, uh, everything will become dyed purple, at least with the you know, you old standard beets. Your candy cane beets will do something different, obviously. So I want a color. I want this thing to be as purplish as it can be. 
the only problem, of course, is that the purple will tend to fade into pink in beer. Every time I've tried to capture purple, like say with blood oranges and whatnot, I always get disappointed because it ends up being pinker than I want. So I definitely want a dark purple color, and I want something that's going to play up against that earthiness. For something like beets, I tend to think of beets as a as a more fall food. So I would go with something a little bit more malty, something a little bit uh, chewier. And so, like, for instance, I have my Saison Atome, which is really just a Scotch ale uh, brewed with Belgian yeast. But that's a little too dark. That will get in the way of the color problem. Let's say we're going to go for a five and a half gallon batch. And obviously, the base has to be, you know, a, a base malt. So either a Pilsner or, you know, sometimes maybe I do a Marisotter. But actually, you know, I, I think in this case, what I'll do is I'm going to do Mecha Grey Peloton or the Wireman Barca Pills. What do you think about that malt choice there, Denny? Yeah, I, I think both of those are, are great. Uh, they both have a lot of flavor to them, so I think that that's going to be a good base for you. Personally, I think that I would go for the Pelton because I uh, I really, really like the flavor of that malt. It doesn't have the uh, quite the grassiness that some of the others do, and it has a really wonderful malty flavor. So, and again, you know, this is that's part of the reason why I think the the Barca Pills would be the the other option I would choose, just because I want you know uh, something with a little more heft, just something different than grain and grass flavors that you get out of, say, a standard Wireman Pills, or even more so out of an American right. personal. Yeah, totally agree. So, for five and a half pounds, let's say we're going to go. I like I, said, I want this thing to be big and meaty. And I always put my efficiency at about uh, 70%. By the way, I'm doing this right now in Brewer's Friend. So don't forget that you can also, you can click on our website, the Brewer's Friend link there and actually sign up and give us a little kickback. So for me, I always kind of start with about 10 pounds of base malt as a, as a place to go. And then what else do I want to have with this? What what Uh, kind of efficiency are you assuming? uh, Usually about 70. Okay. I, I will always prefer to aim under my efficiency mm-hmm. so that I can, uh, I have a happy surprise if I get more. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. And then with the beats, okay, I'm going to need, I'm going to need something, a, a little, a little chew, right? Uh, like something to give a little color in here, but nothing, nothing aggressive. I'm trying to think. So I would actually say uh, some Munich malt, um, just to give a, just to give a little uh, mid-body oomph. And so for that, we'll go for a nice, uh, say, Wireman regular Munich, but only not much of that. Maybe, yeah, like two pounds. And so you've got you got 10 pounds of base malt and two pounds of Munich, right? Yeah. And then I think also because I'm me and I always want some sort of uh, weedy character to a Saison, I'll also say, hmm, let's go two pounds of, uh, no, actually, let's go a pound of wheat malt and a pound of Munich. So that, that pulls us back down. So we're, we're 12 pounds. And right now that gives me a, a starting gravity of 1058. So that, that's my malt bill. I have, I have no problems with that. that. That is a lightweight malt bill. The color on it's four and a half, which should give you an idea. But there's enough stuff there, I think, to give you a good base. Now, for the beets, this is the trick. You want to give a chance to get as much of your extract done, and you want to preserve your color as much as you can. So, beets. First off, you got to cook them. You you can't you you can't do anything else with them. Yeah, you, know, you can't just throw them in raw uh, because you won't get you won't get as much efficiency out of them. So, the classic way of doing it, of course, is to 
is to roast them. But for me, the problem is culinarily speaking, roasting beets, you always put oil on them. And I don't want any oil anywhere near those. But at the same time, since we're going into an aqueous solution, I don't actually have any problems with the idea of just peeling the beets and boiling them. Yeah, give them a, a boil in a small amount of water. Ooh, interesting idea that I just had. Boil them in a small amount of beer or a small amount of wort just to keep the concentration up. Well, why not Why not roast them without oil? Well, because actually in this particular case, I think I want to actually get them to break down further. So I think the boiling will actually be a good thing. Okay. Um, but uh, again, I think I think it might be interesting to do you know, like a, a little DME type bath and actually uh, boil them in some DME. But yeah, either roast them or boil them. I think in this particular case, I would I would boil them and then mash them, but mash them with uh, no anything else. Yeah, you know, just the liquid that you that you cooked them in. Turn it into sort of a beet slurry and add that into the mash. So uh, put them into the mash. Let the let the mash do its magic. But I would actually probably yeah, I'd throw them in at the beginning and then do you know yield typical batch sparge on them. And for the amount, I've never used beets. So for the amount, let's just say to to start safely. Anybody got a parts per pound per gravity on beets? <laughs> for beets, yeah, really. Here's something you might be interested in. Beets are a non-starchy vegetable and don't contain significant amounts of starch. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. So now that we've established actually that beets are a non-starchy vegetable, we can actually just go ahead and, and do a first wort beating with them. I would say two pounds. If you go and you look at experimental homebrewing, you know, we have a recommendation in there of a quarter to a half a pound per gallon. You know, so you're looking at anywhere from a pound to, a, you know, two pounds in terms of impact. I want this to be a bigger impact. So let's say two pounds of beet puree into the boil kettle as you're bringing that wort in. I think to me, that's that's going to be the, the best addition because I also want to have some time to boil just to make sure everything else happens. Now, hops, I know I'm going to be boring here because I'm, uh, I'm going to reach for my old standby and I'm going to say magnum for bittering because, again, I don't necessarily want much of anything to stand up over top of this. So if we say that magnum is about 15 alpha acid or so, let's say we go for 160-minute addition of about a half ounce. And that gives us 25 IBUs. So 25 IBUs up against a 1058 original gravity, which is actually before the beets get added. So you figure with the beets getting added to this, you're probably looking at more like a 1065, 1068 gravity. Um, but I think 25 to uh, 60 is good for a flavorful saison, you know, something where you're doing something kind of interesting and different. And then, then of course, I think we have to get to, okay, water chemistry. I just go for a, a standard... LA water profile here, which is a fairly uh, neutral water. Just I wouldn't do anything, you know, big with this one because you're going to be drawing a lot of your character out of the beats. Having said that, the big question with saisons is always going to be, okay, great, that's wonderful, but what about the yeast? I mean, almost everything else that you do about saison really doesn't matter until you get down to the end and you have to make a choice about yeast. So what sort of yeast would I want to go for? And trying to think through looking at my, my list of yeast that I've used here in the past, I don't think I would go with any of the DuPonts because those will go spicy dry. I think I want something that's going to give me some fruity characteristics to play up against the, the beets and something with a little bit of uh, earthiness to it. So 
thinking about that. Uh, one of the ones I would always use for my old flavored saisons was always 37 lemon, the French saison strain, but I'm kind of bored of that one now. Um, so I don't want to do that. If we wanted to have something really fun, I think actually the 3726 from what I used, the, the Blougy strain, which comes off with, you know, some tropical fruit and some spices. And then there's some kind of some wood underneath it every time I've done it. So that would be a good one. And I think the other one I would do would actually be, hmm, the other one I would do would be the, the Yeast Bay's Walloonian Farmhouse. Because that one has a bit of earthy funk to it that I think will play in well with the beets, but also still has kind of a high fruit and spice nose. Do that. I would drop the, do my usual Saison fermentation schedule. So drop that to 63, 64 degrees. Do an open ferment with a, with a large pitch of one of those two strains. And then go and allow it to ramp up after three days and allow it to finish out. The other dirty trick I would do because I'm me. And like I said in the beginning, if I'm going to do a beet saison, I really want to get that color. I would get my hands on some Trader Joe's beet juice or some other 100% beet juice brand. And I would have that on hand because my suspicion would be that even at two pounds, the beets aren't going to provide a dark, dark purple color. They'll kind of go purplish pink and mostly leaning towards the pink. And so as fermentation starts to wind down, if I want to drive more color, I'll add some of that beet juice back in and allow that to ferment out for a little while. And then obviously once it's done, rack it off, take it over and keg it and go. If you want it to be really sort of weird, you could add a brett to this, but I'm not sure I'd want to compound the earthy funkiness of beets with any sort of funkiness from brett. There you go. In summary, looking back at my notes here on Brewer's Friends, we've got 10 pounds of a Pilsner malt, a good quality Pilsner malt, so like Mecca Grey Peloton or, you know, the Wireman's Barca Pils, a pound of a Munich, a pound of wheat malt, and two pounds of beets to give you an original gravity of about 1058 to 1068, depending upon how much you get out of the beets. Single hop addition, a half ounce of Magnum for 60 minutes, and then either using the Y-East 3726 uh, Blougy strain or using the Yeast Bay's Walloonian Farmhouse strain. Uh, keep some extra beet juice on hand, flavor it up, keg, go. And with this one, I would actually go really high carbonation because I think it'll it'll pop a little bit more interesting. And also I suspect you'll get a really cool pinkish head out of it as well. So what do you think, Denny? I think that you may not cook or eat a lot of beets. I do. Why? Because you didn't address beet varieties at all. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, a, a Chioga beet mm-hmm. will be completely different from something like a, like a Detroit dark red. This is true. I, uh, and I will grant you, I don't have access to a lot of those different varieties, at least not in my farmer's market. You know, we have a standard sort of purplish beet and we also do candy canes. Yeah, well, candy can, candy canes are the Chiogas. Uh, we we grow a lot of those, and uh, if you were to use those, you would get a lot more sugar, a lot less earthiness. Um, but you'd also get less of the color. Yeah, you do get less of the color. But I mean, so if that's one of your goals, then uh, you know, then you probably want to toss in something else. Also, maybe some of the Detroits for for more color. But personally, I would have gone for roasted Chiogas in secondary. But you know, there's there's no right or wrong way when you're doing an experimental recipe like this. 
Exactly. So, I mean, I'm I'm just a little hesitant to put a a a beat until I test it uh, into secondary, just because I'm uh, I'm still worried that there that there'd be something kind of funny going on there, and so that that's the reason for me to still put it into the boil kettle, you know, so it at least has some protection. Oh come on! If you roast them first, there's no no reason not to put them in secondary, right? There's nothing that's going to happen. It's always possible, but. <laughs> For some, for for a guy who makes wild beers, you sure have no guts when it comes to them. Uh huh. No, I just I make wild beers, but I plan. <laughs> so there you go, Eric. Th- those are my basic thoughts on what a beet saison would be. This is actually interesting enough to me that I think I'm going to have to try to do this. Denny, are you ready? Yeah, let's see what happens here. So for Denny, I also decided to go a little easy on you today. Not uh, not too bad because I think this plays into your wheelhouse. And this one comes from Aaron Kinnison, who writes in to ask us for a hoppy American rye lager somewhere in the 4.6 to 5.4 ABV range. But he doesn't specify hoppy in what regard, right? The the only rules here, according to his specifications, basically 45 to 5.5% ABV, 38 to 45 IBUs, ideally using something like 2782. Sure. Yeah, I, I like that yeast. Okay. Well, obviously, if uh, okay, he, did he say a rye pilsner or a rye lager? Rye lager. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. So let's say that we're going to start with uh, well, let's start with ten pounds of pils malt, just like uh, like Drew did. So let's crank that up there to ten pounds. Uh, we want probably at least 20% rye in there to make it noticeably rye. So that would be two and a half pounds of rye malt. I don't think I would put a, a lot of other stuff in there myself so that it doesn't interfere with the rye. Uh, and I am kind of like going in the rye pills, uh, direction. The, the rye is going to give it some body, uh, besides a bite. Actually, let's, let's jack that up another half pound. Okay. So now we have 10 pounds of rye malt, three pounds or three pounds of rye malt, 10 pounds of pills. And what, what was the, the gravity we were, or the alcohol we were going for? Uh, somewhere between 4.6 and 5.4. 5.4. That might be a little bit much. So let's reduce that and that. So, okay. So in that case, uh, we'll, we'll go towards the top end of that and we'll go with, uh, nine pounds of pills malt, two and a half pounds of rye malt. Uh, that's, that's pretty standard. Uh, you know, I think that that way we have uh, about 22% rye, 78% pills malt. Um, that, that should be pretty good. Now, hoppy. Uh, and he, you were talking like in the 50 IBU range for 38 to 45, 38 to 45. Okay. Well, I would start off probably with something like, uh, oh, for bittering, I would go with something like good old, uh, Spalter or Sterling or something like let's let's go with Sterling, shall we? You're going kind of in the noblish range. Yeah, definitely so. Definitely so. The Sterling hops I have here in ProMash were 8.7%, so you certainly wouldn't need very much at that. And I again I'm figuring on an efficiency around 73%, right? 
So I would go probably uh, an ounce and a half. Uh, let's make it. Yeah, let's make an ounce and a quarter of 8.7% sterling at 60. Uh, I would probably go get myself some really nice juicy Zotz pellets and put them in probably, uh, I would put in about an ounce of that in Whirlpool or Flame Out. And maybe, yeah, put in an ounce of flame out and another ounce in the whirlpool. And that's not going to do a whole whole lot. So, again, IBU range was 45-ish. 38 to 45. Yeah, let's... Let's, because we're going to get some bitterness out of the whirlpool and the flame out hops. So let's, let's go with an ounce and a quarter of 8.7% sterling at, uh, at 60 minutes, uh, an ounce of 4.3% zots at flame out and another ounce of those same ones in the kettle, but, uh, cool it down to about 130 degrees Fahrenheit before you add those whirlpool hops. And I am really getting into, uh, to lower temperature whirlpool hops these days. And, uh, you know, people worry about that causing infections in the beer, and I just have not found that to be a problem at all. I mean, you know, dry hops don't cause an infection in the beer, so what's the big deal? So, and then, yeah, and then use something like the uh, the 2782 yeast would be great for that. So, it's a, I guess that's a pretty simple, straightforward recipe. So, you know, again, here's here's what I've got here. Nine pounds of Pilsner malt. This is for five and a half gallons. Nine pounds of Pilsner malt. Two and a half pounds of rye malt, and uh, believe it or not, I uh, prefer domestic rye malt over continental. And so I would probably go with the Mecca grade uh, Rimrock rye because that has the best flavor I've ever found. If you can't get that, then I would even say uh, use some Brees rye malt. That has a, a real nice flavor to it, a little bit more forward than something like the Weirman. Uh, one and a quarter ounces of 8.7% sterling at 60 minutes, uh, an ounce of 4.3% zots at flame out, and another ounce of those same zots in the whirlpool once you get to 130 degrees. Uh, why use 27.82 for yeast? Water profile, I would go, I mean, you know, people always have this thing that loggers have to use soft water, and that's not really true. I would go kind of like in the... Uh, Oh, I would go in the German Pilsner uh, area for a water profile. Estimated SRM is about nine. So uh, I would use kind of like the um, uh, maybe like the amber bitter uh, profile from uh, Brunewater. And what about fermentation? Fermentation, I would ferment it uh, probably I would go 55 degrees for maybe – Four or five days, uh, check the gravity, see where things stood. If it was getting down low, I would, uh, crank it up to 72 for another four or five days. Uh, if it wasn't down uh, at least three quarters of the way to my final gravity, I would uh, probably just leave it another couple days before I cranked up the temp. Uh, once I hit my final gravity and got done with that maybe four days at 72, I would crash it down to 33 for a week or so until it uh, got as clear as I wanted it to be before kegging. No fast lagering type technique. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of a modified fast lager, you know? 
And then assuming what just normal carbonation levels and all that sort of stuff, like 2.5 volumes. Yeah, right. I, I generally like my beers fairly well carbonated, especially something like this. So I would go for 2.5 to 2.7 volumes. Now, also given that this is a lager, would you do any fining with it? Well, uh, you know, just my, my standard thing of uh, putting in uh, half a whirl flock tab for the last five minutes of the boil. Between that and the cold crashing, that should be plenty. Yeah, I think I would probably I would probably add some sort of uh, kettle fining. Or not kettle fining, sorry. I, I would probably add some sort of package fining, so like maybe some gelatin or something. But Because uh, I think for me, I, I, I never worry about fining except for some – weird reason around loggers. Yeah. Yeah. My my loggers get clear enough without having to mess with that, that uh, I guess I just haven't seen the need. And then I'm trying to think. So other comments I would have on that is I would probably, for my own preference, I would add something toasted in the malt bill, you know, like a, like a little shot of Vienna or a little shot of aromatic or something just as a little goose. But I think otherwise, I think what you've got there is a sort of very clean and classic recipe. Yeah, I mean, for me, this kind of beer needs to be straight ahead so that you really taste the ingredients, uh, you know. Uh, so that's why that's why I went simple. A little bit of vignana, I guess, wouldn't be bad, but I don't, I'm not sure you would really need it with the rye mold in there. The other question is, we're at 22% rye in this, right? Yep. So what, what would be the highest amount of rye that you say you could see somebody using in this? 40%. 40%. Wow. Okay. That's if, if you, Yeah, no. I mean, if, if you really, really, really want to taste that rye, you could go as high as 40%. Uh, I've gone as high as 60%, and I would not recommend that to people, but that's based on my taste. Uh, but yeah, if you wanted to go to 40% in this, you would really, really know that there was rye in there. Yeah, I think 20% to me is like a nice spot. I start to get a little nervous when it gets up to like 30 and yeah, I couldn't even imagine trying to do a 60, but that's what you got to do if you want to do a Rogan beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I uh, I, I made a uh, kind of like a barley wine strength version of my rye IPA once, and I uh, went up to 60% rye on it, and that was a thick and viscous beer, let me tell you. Well, hey, I don't know about you, Dave, but I I think this was fun. Yeah, you know what? And uh, especially because you didn't give me anything really, really bizarre to deal with. So, I, you know, I didn't have to refuse. I, I, <laughs> I try to play nice. Yeah. I think I think we definitely have to do this again. I think we'll have to, you know, pull out some more ideas and offer people another chance to to give us something uh, to, to stump each other with or at least have fun with. And to me, I hope that for you guys that this was actually useful in terms of, you know, hearing us tease out how an idea works, how, how we go from that log line to what we would actually do in our mash kettles and our boil kettles. Hopefully you learned something. Yeah. And uh, I also want to congratulate Eric Pierce and Aaron Kennison for having their recipes chosen. We'll be getting a half pound of uh, the veteran blend hops out to each of you as soon as I'm able to walk again and get to the post office. God help us when Denny gets mobile again. (laughs) That's right, man. I was actually out shopping for a little while yesterday. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We really do hope that you enjoyed this sort of odd exploration of real-time recipe design, and you can see exactly how our brains work, or don't, or whatnot. So the question to you out there in the audience is, what do you think of our recipes? And we will include links to the recipes that we just designed on the website with a note about this whole format. So if you want to actually go and brew one of these, which we would say have some fun with, 
Uh, you'll be able to pull them up on the website. But what would you change in our ideas and the things that we've said? Or what would you have us brew? We'll include the link to the challenge us so that you can uh, start submitting some new ideas. And uh, what would you brew with a veteran blend of hops? Let us know. Yeah, that's what that's our challenge to you guys that won these hops. Tell us what you're going to brew with them. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum known to mankind. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review at Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA Brewswag.com code experimental, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year and the very last month is... It is Nowzad, an organization in Afghanistan helping our soldiers there with the animals that they found, taking care of them there, and bringing them home. It's a great cause, so toss a buck or two their way. Yeah, help the pooches. Until next time, remember to always brew wacky, or brew experimentally, and the brew is out there. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply.